All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Today, we are in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. 1 through 16. Uh, We're continuing in our series on mission. And today we're asking and answering the question, how can we be on mission together? How can we be on mission together? If we're going to be on mission, we can't just be on our own mission. We've got to be on Jesus's mission. But we've also got to be on mission together. We've got to be unified with one another. So how can we do that? That's what we're going to answer today. So hopefully you found your place, Ephesians chapter 4. We will begin reading in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all the things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this opportunity as the church to gather together to worship you this morning. And song is well as in word, Lord. And as we turn to hear your word this morning, may we take what we hear this morning and apply it to our life individually and to the life of this church corporately. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I attended the University of Georgia for my undergraduate work. And and one of the things that I learned quickly was that there were a lot of different classes that I had to take. You see, I I was a biology major. and, And not only did I have to take classes in science, but I had to take classes in other disciplines. So I had to take English and in literature. Uh, I had to take psychology and sociology and philosophy. I had to take Spanish. I had to take a number of different classes in all of these different disciplines. And while I didn't really understand why I had to do that then, right, I just kind of wanted to go in, take my science classes and, and get out of there, uh, I, I kind of appreciate a little bit more today why I needed to take all of those different classes. I understand, thinking back, that, that I see that there was sort of a 
you know, method in the university's madness. There was a sort of unity in the diversity of classes that I had to take. You see, the subjects, they were all designed to work together to make me a well-rounded student, teaching me skills that I didn't have and then helping me hone the skills that I did have but I needed to get a little bit better in. And the church works in a similar way. You know, while there's not a diversified list of classes that we all have to take, you know, and thank, thank God for that, right? Uh, there is a diversity of gifts and there's a diversity of people in the church. And in order for us to be a church that is on mission together, there must be unity in our diversity. There's gotta be unity in our diversity. And that's really what Paul is getting at in the first seven verses of chapter four. We're gonna look at verse one though to begin with. And so look, look, look at verse one when he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, Paul begins this section and he tells us that we need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And, and when the writers of the New Testament, even when the writers of the Old Testament talk about or use that word walk, they're, they're really using it as a metaphor for how we are supposed to live. When Paul calls us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, he is calling us to consistently, to daily, to, to continually live according to our calling as Christians. In other words, he wants you as a Christian to walk in a consistent way, a consistent way that matches up with the life of Jesus. So, so think about walking to Sunday school after this. And if you haven't attended Sunday school, we have Sunday school directly after church service. If you're, you're thinking about doing that, you can go to the, the kiosk back there in the back and they will help you find a Sunday school class. So that's my plug for Sunday school this morning. But, but think about going to Sunday school after this. When you walk to Sunday school, you don't, you know, start taking a few steps in one direction and then, and then all of a sudden you kind of jog to the left a little bit and begin going backtracking or you don't, you don't just walk in circles, right? I mean, you, you go in one direction if you want to make it to your Sunday school class consistently. And that's the same thing that we need to be doing as Christians. But I think oftentimes people forget that. People begin to walk in one direction on Sunday morning for a couple of hours. They say, you know what, this is my time for me to follow Jesus. I'm going to do that. And then the rest of the week, they, they walk in all kinds of other directions. And they allow the world to pull them in, in a number of different ways. But if we're going to be believers then we have to follow Jesus. We need to follow him every single day. We need to consistently follow him, right? Well, we can't just be Sunday Christians for a couple of hours. We need to be everyday Christians. And we've got to walk according to our calling. And so what does it look like for us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? Well, Paul begins to answer that for us in verse 2 and verse 3. So, so look there with me. With all humility, he says, and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so he says, look, you've got to be humble. You can't, you can't be prideful if you're going to do this. You've got to be humble. You, you've got to be gentle with one another. You can't, you can't treat one another harshly. You have to be patient. And sometimes that's difficult because we're dealing with people here. People are not always the easiest people to deal with. And so we've got to be patient. We've got to bear with one another, he says. We've got to kind of take the load that, that somebody else is carrying for a while at times. 
If we want to be unified, though, we have to do these things. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is what he says here. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We've got to be eager to maintain this unity with one another. When someone is eager, it means that they're willing to put forth effort. It means that they are motivated to do this. This isn't just something that we can just do haphazardly or or whenever we want. We've got to be eager to do this. Now, my kids, every night after dinner, they, they like to have some dessert and they don't have this huge dessert. It's just a piece of candy or something like that. And And they know the rule that they need to eat what's on their plate before they go and have dessert. Well, sometimes they forget that rule almost every single night, it seems like. And, you know, they they ask us, can we have that? Or or they they might just get up and start walking over to the pantry, which is where we keep the candy. And, and we know what they're doing, right? And, and so we say, well, what are you doing, Kim? What are you doing, Bryce? What's going on? Oh, you know, I just, just thought I'd get some dessert. We say, well, ha- have you finished everything on your plate here? And they're like, no, no, I just, I didn't want that. I'm ready for dessert. And you're like, well, you know the rules. You know what the rules are. You have to eat everything on your plate first. And then when they realize that, that we're serious about that, what do they do? Well, if they want, they want dessert, they're, they're pretty eager. They come back over to the table and they begin eating everything that is on their plate. And then they head over to the pantry. And the same thing when it comes to watching TV. If they want to watch that at night, we'll usually make them clean up their room or, or take a bath or something like that. And, and, and again, they might go in there and turn on the TV and say, well, you know, you know what we want you guys to do. And then once they, they kind of realize, hey, we're serious, they go and they run and they jump in the bath, they clean up their clothes, and they clean up all the toys and things like that. And then they come in there and they watch TV. You see, the same eagerness that my kids have for dessert, the same eagerness that my kids have to watch TV is the same eagerness that we need to have to be unified with one another. There's got to be some motivation that is there. There's got to be some eagerness that is there. We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes to maintain unity with one another, to be at peace with one another in the church. And I know that's easier said than done. And so what motivation does Paul give us here? What motivation does God give us here through his word so that we might be able to maintain unity with one another? Well, he begins to tie this to our common Christian experiences. And so look at verse four with me. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now we see a word that repeats a lot there. And when you see words that repeat a lot in Scripture, you need to really pay attention to those words. And the word that repeats a lot in those couple of verses is the word one. And he tells us, look, there's only one body of Christ. There's not multiple bodies of Christ. As Christians, we all experience the same thing. We we all live, we all have one Lord, he says. We all have uh, one faith. We've been baptized into one baptism. We have one God and one Father of us all. And he says we've all received the same grace. You see, we all might have different gifts, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. We've talked about that in the past. Uh, we might all ha- have grown up with, with different experiences. We might come from, you know, different cultural backgrounds and different, we might have different socioeconomic statuses and things like that. But, but the thing is, all of those differences are wiped out at the foot of the cross. 
because we are all sinners who all need the same amount of grace. Nobody needs less grace than anybody else. Nobody is better than anybody else. Every single one of us are the same. And so we all need the same grace. We've all been baptized into Christ together. We all exist in one body. And so Paul is telling us, look, if you're having trouble with this unity thing, think about the cross. Think about the gospel. Recognize that that it is our common experiences with the grace of God that we all are to be in this together. So that's our motivation, the gospel. The gospel brings us together like nothing else. And so if we're going to be on mission together, there has to be a unity in our diversity. And in order to be on mission together second, we must use the gifts that the king has given to minister to one another and to the community. So look at verses eight through 10. He says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so here, Paul, he, he, he paints this picture for us of this conquering king who is coming into his kingdom. After he has won this war, he has this host of captives that are, that are coming behind him. And, the, and there's parading them through the city. All of the, the citizens of the, of the kingdom are lined up and they're watching this event happen. It's a great celebration, just like parades are great celebrations for us. And as he's doing this, the the king gives gifts to men as he sees fit. And Paul takes this event that would take place back then, and he begins to apply this to Christ. And he says, Christ is the conquering king. But but he flips the script a little bit, right? He says that, that this king, he has ascended, but before he was able to ascend, he had to descend. And so here is Jesus sitting on his throne in heaven. He descends to the earth and then he descends again into the earth as he is crucified, as he dies, as he is placed into the grave. Everybody thinks it's over. It's done. We've gotten rid of this guy who says that he is the Messiah, who says that he is the Savior. But then something amazing happens. Something miraculous happens. He raises from the grave. He resurrects out of the grave. And then he ascends to his throne once again to sit as the king over this entire universe. He says, Jesus is the conquering king. And as the conquering king who has defeated sin, Satan, in death, he now rules over everything. And just as conquering kings were able to give gifts to those in their kingdom, Jesus gives gifts to those who are in his kingdom. And he gives each one of us uniquely. And he has the right to give those gifts. And he has the right to ask us to utilize those gifts in his kingdom for his glory. And that's exactly what he does. He gives us gifts as he sees fit. And we are to utilize those gifts to minister to one another and to minister to the community. 
And so if we're going to be a church that's on mission, that's exactly what we must do. We must recognize that, that the conquering king, that, that the savior of this entire world, the one who is the all-sovereign God of this entire universe, is sitting on his throne. He has given us gifts and he expects us to use those gifts. And we must use those gifts to minister to one another and to minister to the community. That's exactly what we must do if we're going to make Jesus' name famous. And we recognize that. We won't be disunified with one another. We won't be headed in our own direction. Instead, we will be a church that is on mission together. And while we've been saved into one body, you know, while, while we've been gifted by the conquering king and expected to use these gifts to further his kingdom, we still need to be equipped in order to use these gifts effectively, to minister to one another effectively. And so Jesus also supplies a way for us to be equipped. And so in order for us to be on mission together, we must be equipped to minister to one another in the community and Jesus provides for that. So look at verses 11 and 12, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so just so we're on the same page, I know we talked about this a little bit in the past, but, but maybe you missed that sermon. Maybe you're here today visiting for the first time. Let's just run through this list that he gives. He says he gives the apostles first. And when Paul uses this term, he's not referring to, I don't believe the big A apostles. I believe what he's referring to are little A apostles, people who have been sent out, people who will be considered maybe church planters, church strengtheners. He said, we've given these people to the church. He's also given prophets. And Paul is not... These prophets that, that he's given are not, not the same prophets that, that you think about in the Old Testament, right? You've got Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of these people are predicting the future and things like that are going to happen. We're not talking about those type of prophets. We're talking about prophets who have been given to the church to speak these spirit-prompted messages, these spirit-prompted messages of truth to the church in order to strengthen, encourage, convict, or build up the church. And these are not messages that they just come up with, but it's God's word that God is laying on their heart so that they might speak in different times and to the church. He also gives evangelists, he says. And these are people who have been particularly gifted to, to speak the gospel to other people. Now, that does not mean just because God has, has given evangelists to the church doesn't mean that nobody else is supposed to do the work of evangelism, right? I mean, we are in this section and we're looking at these people equipping you to do the work of ministry. And so it doesn't absolve us from evangelism. It just means that there have been some people who are specifically gifted in that area. And lastly, we see that he gives shepherds and teachers. And I don't believe these are, are two distinct categories. Rather, I believe they come together to represent the category for pastors. And so you've got pastors who shepherd, they, they, they protect the flock, and you've got pastors who teach. And we do this, those things come together underneath the office of pastor. And we're told that Jesus has, has given these positions to the church in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, more often than not, you're going to interact with the last category, pastor. So, so let's, just, let's just talk about that for a minute. As we do, the main thing we see is that the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Well, saints are you guys. Saints are church members. Saints are believers in Christ. Those are the saints. And so it's my job then as a shepherd, as a teacher to equip you, the saints, to do the work of ministry. Now that doesn't mean that I don't minister, right? I certainly do minister, right? I'm, I'm a minister of the gospel. So I, I minister, 
But it means that, that I am not the only minister in the church. It means that there are other ministers in the church and those other ministers are not just necessarily people who have been paid to minister. Every single person in the church is a minister. This is where the idea of the priesthood of all believers comes in in the Reformation era, right? We're saying that, that everybody has the ability to be a priest. Every single person has the ability to minister the gospel to one another. Everybody has the ability to do that. And we are to do that. And so when a church calls a pastor, a church should not call a pastor with the mindset that, okay, great, this person is going to do all the ministry in the church. A church calls a pastor with the mindset of, can this person equip me to do the work of ministry? That's the question that, that should be asking when you think about a pastor and think about calling someone. Can this person equip me to do the work of ministry. And so now we're, we're looking to hire, you know, a couple other staff members. And so as we look to hire them, we need to be asking the question, not can they minister to all the students? Can they minister to all the children and all of the families? Certainly they need to do that. But can they equip the students to minister to one another? Can they equip families to minister to one another well? That's what a minister's job is, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And not only does scripture tell us that here, but if you just think about it from a practical standpoint, I mean, practically there is not enough hours in the week and not enough hours in the day for me to minister to every single person in the church effectively. So just think about, about one of my responsibilities, just to preach the Sunday sermon. I mean, I, I prepare, probably takes me 10 to 15 hours when it's all said and done to prepare the message and preach this message that you're hearing right now. That's just one thing. Then you got, you know, Wednesday night and you've got Sunday night and you've got counseling, you've got ministering to people, you've got planning and preparing and administration and all of these different things that you have to do. It's, it's physically impossible for one person then to minister to every single person in the church. And so not only does scripture tell us that the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, but just when you think about practically, people have got to be equipped so that other people are ministered together, to minister to one another well. Amen. Now, I, I don't say any of that stuff to complain. I, I love my job. I love what, what I do. Um, it doesn't even feel like work to me at times. Um, but in order for me to be effective, then I need for you guys to be effective, which means I have to equip you so that we can all minister to one another together and we can all be unified. That's why God gives these men to equip the saints. This is why we can't sit in the pew. This is why we've ran that campaign and we continue to run the idea of, of go beyond the pew, Amen. right? So that we are ministering effectively to one another. And so what's the goal? In other words, what then is the purpose and the goal of ministry in the church? Well, what are we working towards? At the end of verse 12, we learn that the purpose and goal is for the building up of the body of Christ. This is, this is where we are heading. So, so think about your home. And your home is, is, a, is for all intents and purposes, you know, a structure with, with four walls, but, but, it, but in some sense, it's, it's a little bit more than that. It, it's your home. And in order for your home to, to become your home, what, what had to happen? Well, you had to, you had to find some plans. Uh, then you had to find a contractor who was gonna foresee all, you know, see all that stuff out. 
They had to come in and they had to, they had to pour the slab. They had to erect some walls. They had to put some roofs on. They had to put plumbing and electrical in. You got to do all the painting inside. You've got to have somebody, you got to put all the appliances in. You got to put the furniture in. There's a lot of things that need to take place in order for a home to become a home, for your home to become the home that you live in. Now, one person didn't do all of that. Right? You had a number of different people who came in and did that. You had your concrete workers, and you've got the people who framed it, and you've got your roofers and your painters, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these different people worked in order for your home to become a home. And something similar has to happen in the church. The saints who are equipped by the pastor must use their gifts so that they are building one another up in Christ. That's that's the building project that we all have. We are building one another up in Christ, which means we've all got to be actively engaged in our area of ministry in order to complete this building project. So what are we working towards? What is this this building that we're building going to look like? How do we know when when we're finished, When, when we're done with our project? Well, look at verses 13 and 14. He says, until, you're building up the body of Christ until we all, not just some, but all, attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Okay, that's a lot, so let's break that down. What is the goal and the purpose? First, a unified understanding of the faith and a deep, intimate knowledge of the Son of God. Which means that we should all be like-minded in the core convictions of the Christian faith. So so first, we need to have this unified understanding of the faith. We, We need to know what the core convictions of the faith are. Like, what is the gospel? Who is man? Who is God? What is the church? You know, what is scripture? What does baptism and the Lord's Supper represent? How are we to live as followers of Jesus? We all need to know these things. We all need to be able to answer those questions. And we need to help one another answer those questions. These are the core convictions of the Christian faith. And along with that, we are also to help others gain a deep, intimate knowledge of the Son of God. And the knowledge I believe that Paul is talking about here is not just head knowledge, right? You can go and read a systematic theology or something like that and gain all kind of head knowledge. Instead, Paul is pressing community here. And so what I believe that Paul is talking about and how we really gain this deep, intimate knowledge of the Son of God is by interacting with one another and seeing Jesus working in one another's life. And so there was this gentleman in my last pastor, and, and I've asked him if I could use this, but I'm still going to change his name anyways. We're going to call him John. Uh, John was a very difficult person to get along with when I first began at Sycamore. Uh, we, we were in a men's group together, and we, we started this men's group uh, just a couple months after I was there, and I was there for almost eight years. And so John and I met every single week for eight years in men's group. And for the first couple of years, men's group was not very enjoyable with John there because John did not take criticism well. John did not like 
when, when you disagreed with him and he would get mad and he would get upset and sometimes he would leave men's group and then he would call me and he would, you know, want to really give me, you know, a chewing out or something. And, and it wasn't very enjoyable. But as, as we began to press into him, press the truth of the gospel into him, press the word into him week after week after week, as we would speak the truth in love, as Paul talks about here in verse 15, we saw something change in John. He began to mature. He began to grow. All of a sudden, he, he would accept some pushback if, if you didn't agree with how he interpreted that verse. He, he quit calling me and, 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 you know, yelling at me on the phone. Uh, we, we began to be unified with one another. And over the years, I was able to watch him grow to the end when I, when I was leaving. I really didn't want to leave, you know, this group with him because I, I, I really enjoy getting together with him every single week. You know, it, it, it was a joy. And so if I would not have been in community with him, if I would not have been speaking the truth and love to him, if others in the group would not have been speaking the truth and love to him, we wouldn't have seen that. We wouldn't have seen that growth. We wouldn't be able to, to stand today and praise Jesus for, for the growth that we have seen in this man. Because we did that, we were able to see that. And, and so what I believe God is saying here in this text is that we gain this knowledge of the Son of God by interacting with one another, by, by being in community with one another, by, by seeing Jesus transform one another's life. And we begin to understand how sanctification takes place as we are, we are intimately involved in that role ourselves. And so we begin to understand who Jesus is to a greater extent as we see him working in the life of one another. We have to be in community in order to do that. But we not only need to be unified with one another, we must also enter into one another's lives. We've got to use these gifts that the conquering king has given us. And if we do that, then we're going to gain this deep understanding of the faith. We're going to grow in our faith. Well, next we see that, that, that we are also working towards a church that resembles Christ and its thoughts and action and knowledge. Paul says in the middle of verse 13, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, a mature man is someone who is full grown. A mature man is someone who, who is able to meet certain standards and certain specifications of what it looks like to be a full grown man. And, and so for our kids, we you know, they're growing up and so we have to take them to the doctor and we have to take them to these wellness visits. And when we go to these wellness visits, you know, our, our doctor, she asks us all these different types of questions. And, and if I have to take them, then Jen sends me with the list of questions that I need to ask her. And I have to get together with her the night before and I have to say, okay, what are, what are, what are they eating? How are they doing? What's going on? And I create this whole list and I go to the doctor and I pull it out and I say, these are all the things that are going on with our kids right now. And then she says, okay, good things are going well, or she says, oh, you guys need to do this a little bit, bit more. And she's able to say that because she has these standards by which she is, is measuring our kids. And then she gives us some, some tasks that we need to do in order to help them meet these standards by our next appointment. And, and really, God is telling us something similar here in his word. He says, on the one hand, he's telling us that, that we are all working towards 
maturity. We shouldn't be stagnant Christians. We should, we should be maturing in our faith. If you are not growing in your faith, if you are the same person in your faith that you were when you came to Christ, well, you're not really doing what God is telling you to do here. We are all growing in our faith, just like you guys all grew up from little kids to, to where you're at today. We're all growing in our faith. And on top of that, he's also telling us that we should be employing our gifts to help one another grow in the faith, just like parents are, are utilizing what, what the doctors tell them and just common knowledge to help their kids grow in their life. And just like our doctor has this standard of measurement, we have a standard of measurement as well. And, and, and it's not necessarily one another. I know we like to, to compare ourselves to one another and say, you know, I'm better than that guy down the street must be doing pretty well. well. Well, God just throws all the comparison game out and he says, you know what? You might be better than that guy down the street, but what about the guy a little, a few houses over? Oh, I don't wanna talk about him, right? We always can find somebody that we're better than. And so God says, we're just gonna throw all that out. Here's the person that you need to compare yourself to, Jesus. Jesus is who we are comparing ourselves to, not, not necessarily to one another, to Jesus. Now, I know that that is, you know, huge. Talk about Jesus, perfect God-man. But this is the standard that we are to compare ourselves to. This is where we're going. This is what we're helping one another attain to so that we would be more and more like Jesus every single week, so that we might follow, follow Jesus to a greater degree every single week, so that we might look more like him. Remember, we, we began talking about walking in a manner worthy of our calling. And the manner that we are to walk in is we are to walk like Jesus. We are to follow Jesus. And we are to help one another as we've been equipped with these spiritual gifts by God. We are to be in unity with one another so that we might be able to do that. When there's disunity in the church, guess what? Nobody reaches to this maturity here. Nobody becomes more like Jesus. We become more like the world. And so what does Satan want to do? Satan wants to disunify the church. He wants to do everything he can to create disunity in the church. And so we have to remember, we've got to be unified with one another. We've got to be humble. We've got to bear with one another. We've got to be patient with one another. We've got to speak the truth and love to one another. We've got to be gentle with one another or else we're going to create division. And we need to be unified with one another so that we can help one another grow, so that we can use the gifts that God has given us so that we might reach maturity. Amen. This is what we do as a church. And we are equipped by pastors and teachers, and we are equipped by apostles, and we are equipped by the prophets, and we are equipped by evangelists in order to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us. And the reason we're doing all of this so that we might look like Christ, so that we might be a witness to the world, he also tells us another result in verse 14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so we see the result is that we should be a church that is able to discern and combat false doctrine. Satan wants to deceive us. He doesn't want us to believe the gospel. He doesn't want us to believe God's word. He wants to twist that and he wants us to believe the twisted portion. And if we're not growing in the faith, if we're not helping one another grow in the faith, if we're not equipped, 
to understand the core doctrines of the Christian faith, then guess what? We're going to be deceived. We're going to be taken away by false doctrine. We are going to allow that to infiltrate the church. We're not going to continue to grow. We're not going to continue to be the church that Jesus wants us to be. But on the other hand, if we do those things, then we will reach maturity. We will not be children who are easily deceived. We will not be disunified with one another. We will be a church that is growing together. We will be a church that is on mission together. So that's what we need to do. And the way we do that is by speaking the truth in love. And as we speak the truth in love, verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head who is Christ, from whom the whole body... Remember, we're joined together. We're held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's where we're going. We're going to a body that is self-sustaining. We're going to a body that, that doesn't necessarily have to have the same pastor every single year, every single week. Because guess what? We've been equipped so that we can grow together so that we can continue to help one another mature in the faith. And if we're gonna be on mission together, then that, that's what we gotta do. And so what is the purpose and goal of the church and the work of ministry? In other words, what are you being equipped to do? You are being equipped to use your God-given gifts to minister to one another so that we are all built up in the faith, so that we are not led astray by false doctrine, so that we might continue to disciple one another and we might be disciple-making disciples. Amen. If we're gonna accomplish the mission, the vision of the church to be disciple-making disciples, these are the things that we need to do. And guess what? You cannot do that if you're not here. I know that sometimes it's popular for people to say, oh, I'm going go, to go get some church, you know, once a month. I'm going to go get my church fixed and I'm going to be full for the, for the rest of the year. If you don't come to church, if you're not the church, if you're not around the church, if you're not gathering together with the church here on Sundays and outside of the walls, I don't want to just give you the impression that you just got to come here every single time the doors are open in order to grow in Christ. That's not the case. But you do need to be at church and you do need to be gathered with the church outside of the walls of the church on a regular basis so that you can be equipped, so that you can then help one another grow in Christ. So you've got to be plugged in. You've got to be using your gifts in order for that to occur. If that's not what you're doing, if you're not plugged in, if you're only coming every now and again, if you're not gathering together with people, know that, that you're not gonna grow. And know that, that no one else around you is going to grow. And so if you want to grow, and you should, we don't all want to remain children forever. If we want to grow, then we've got to gather together with Christians. If we want other people to grow, and we should, then we've got to gather together with one another. We've got to be equipped. We've got to use our gifts to minister to one another. So if we're going to be a church that's on mission together, then we have to be a church that is unified with one another. We have to be a church that is equipped to use the gifts that Jesus has given us. And we must use those gifts on a regular basis so that we might accomplish the mission that Jesus has given to make disciple-making disciples. And so let's do that. Let's be known as a church that makes disciple-making disciples.